Welcome to the Beach Grove United Methodist Church podcast, where you can hear our Sunday morning sermons in audio form and take them wherever you go. A reminder that if you want to watch the entire service, our services are available on our YouTube channel linked in the podcast notes. We would love it if you would subscribe to the podcast so that new sermons come into your feed as soon as they are available. And you can do this using your favorite podcasting app. We would love it if you would help to support the missions and ministries here at Beach Grove through your tithes and your offerings. A donation link is also linked in the notes below. And lastly, find us on Facebook and Instagram to follow along with all the fun things happening at Beach Grove, whether you live in Suffolk, Virginia or not. We hope you enjoyed this week's message and please don't forget to share it with others. Our scripture this morning comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 5, verses 27 through 32. And if possible, would you please stand for the Gospel reading. After this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax collection station. And he said to him, follow me. And he got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi gave a great banquet for him in his house, and there was a large crowd of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with them. The Pharisees and their scribes were complaining to his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks. Let us have a word of prayer uh, for the word that God will offer. Holy and gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of each one of our hearts be holy and pleasing to you. That in this word for us today, we would continue to grow, that we are called to come forth and to one another as we learn more about this meal that we are called to come forth and receive. For it is in your invitation that we know we are truly welcomed in the kingdom and that we are called to be receivers and givers of the grace that you offer to us. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. So Christ our Lord invites to this table all who love him, all who earnestly repent of their sin, and all who seek to live in discipleship with one another. So every time that we gather together and we celebrate the sacrament of communion, I offer words similar to those. Those are the words that are, if you opened the United Methodist hymnal to page 8, those would be the words that you would see in there. Um, Oftentimes, pastors will take certain liberties with the words to extend the invitation, but those are the general words of invitation that are offered when we move in the service to the celebration of the communion table. Before we ever come to the table, before any of the other liturgy that goes forward in the table, before we receive, uh, before we give thanksgiving for the offerings, before we uh, give confession, before we do anything, there is an invitation. There is a nature in which we are being invited, not by me, not by the church, but by Christ to come to this table. You know, these words have always echoed so real in my head, even from the days in my youth. But, but there's one story that I love to tell when I think about the invitation 
to the communion table. I was on a youth retreat. It was my sophomore year of high school. And for all four years that I was in high school, I served on our local district youth council, helping to plan the retreats of the now, uh, I will say, very former Norfolk district back in you know the early 2000s. That seems like so long ago now that we're now the coastal Virginia district. And as we planned these retreats, we always uh, thought about the themes. We always put things together. And of course, for those of you who remember these youth retreats or other retreats uh, throughout the conference, there was always a night in which we received communion. I remember there was uh, a senior in in the youth group that I was a part of, the youth group in my church, St. Andrews in Virginia Beach. There was a, a senior in that group, and he had grown up Catholic. And of, of, of course, in, in the differentiation between our own understanding of communion and the Catholic understanding of communion, he would uh, always say that, that he didn't want to come to the table at, at our church. He said he was Catholic, but I always knew like there was something a little bit deeper about that. Um, and so, but he had never, I'd never seen him take communion. That's not to say that he probably didn't. I'm sure he would go to mass with his parents and maybe take it. I just... I never saw him take communion. He never felt comfortable taking communion at our church. I'd never seen him take it at a youth retreat either. And so I was particularly thrown off when in the midst of this retreat, in the midst of his senior retreat on this trip, he came up and received communion. Now, I do not remember who the speaker was at this retreat. Do not ask me to tell you the theme of this retreat. Do not ask me to tell you the theme of any retreat I have ever done, including the retreat that I actually was the keynote speaker for. Just, just friends, don't ask me what sermon series I preached last year. It's, it's not often very easily recalled. But I remember sitting up, standing up at the front of the, the, the sanctuary, the chapel at Blackstone, Virginia, right? Many of us probably recall that space with the bread in my hand going through the motions of serving communion to all the youth and leaders who are coming forward and then seeing him standing in front of me. Now, seeing him standing in front of me, I served communion to him. I I, uh, said his name as they were, we were all wearing name tags. This is the body which has been given for you. But it took a couple of moments for it to register who I had just served communion to. You see, it's not that he was never welcome to the table. It's not that we ever wanted to exclude him from the table. He had just chosen not to come to communion many of the times that I was around him. And so perplexed and knowing our own history and having conversations around church, around religion, around theology, I went up and asked him, why why did you choose today to receive communion? I know you've always said that you're Catholic and you didn't necessarily feel comfortable in our churches. I know you and I have had conversations around theology and your struggles with religion in general. And again, like I don't remember a single word that the keynote talked about. Don't even remember whether the pastor used the traditional liturgy for communion or not. But I know that this invitation was used. And this youth felt the strong, urging desire to come forward and to take part in the meal in this space. He said it was the very invitation that was offered by the pastor 
that made him feel as though he could come forward to receive what was being offered at this table. He said at that moment in time, nothing else mattered. None of his ideas of what the communion table was, nothing he had ever been taught about communion, nothing. At that moment in time, he felt that there was nothing that could stop him from coming forward to the table to receive what God was calling him to come and receive. I mean, truly, what, what an amazing piece of insight. I truly wish that every time I, I, I came away from that, truly wishing that every time that I was at a communion table, that the invitation would be offered in a way that everybody felt welcome to come and to receive. Now, I was a sophomore in high school. I had preached a couple of times, and I had a couple of pastors that told me, oh, Andrew, you're going to be a pastor one day, and I laughed at them, <laughs> as any youth often does when they say, oh, you're going to be a pastor one day. I see that worked out very well. <laughs> and as I told you last week, there's always been something about communion that has intrigued me. And as we've worked our way through this, or as we're working our way through this series, it is that basis of, it is that basis of this meal as both an opportunity to be reminded of and to receive God's grace that really invites us into an intentional space here within the body. There is so much that is embedded within this invitation and the way that we offer it within the church. Within the church, with, within our global understanding of faith and the way that we understand it in nature with our United Methodist theology. Because embedded within this invitation is something that tells us, come to the table and allow it to transform you. Right? We, often so, we so often think that we have to come to the table worthy to receive what God has offered. Right? I have to be worthy in order to come forward. I have to be worthy in order to receive God's grace. I have to be worthy. No, what we are offered in the invitation is an opportunity to acknowledge that we are unworthy. And that by coming to the table, we are made worthy. You see, in our scripture today, what we have is a, is a, a very brief interaction, right? I mean, only, only five verses that, that I have kind of put in here today. And I invite you to go back and to read some of the surrounding text around it because it really begins to give us a little bit more insight into what's happening, right? Jesus is beginning to collect his disciples as he's going around and as he is beginning his ministry. And he comes to this tax collector named Levi, right? Many of us probably know him as Matthew, um, but he comes up to this tax collector named Levi. Now, the tax collectors of biblical times were not your typical IRS agents. I, I mean, none of us like IRS agents, but trust me, I would rather deal with an IRS agent than a biblical tax collector in this situation. You see, tax collectors were known as thieves. Right? They received the tax rate from the Roman Empire. Right? Caesar would say, all right, the tax rate is 15%. I don't know if that's actually how they devised it, but... Let's just play a game for a second. And so the tax collector would say, all right, cool, the tax rate is, is 15%, so I need to make sure that what I send the Roman Empire is 15%. But you see, what they would do is they would tack a little bit extra onto that. And so instead of 15%, for some people it ended up being 25 or 30%. For some people it may have ended up being 5 or 10%. 
Tax collectors would line their own pockets, line the pockets of their friends, keep the money that they didn't have to send to the Roman Empire. And so tax collectors were seen as these, these thieves in society, those who, who take and keep for themselves. And so what does Jesus do? Jesus is like, oh, I got to have me one of those guys. And the, and, the, and the interesting thing about this entire thing that I find is Jesus doesn't let Levi work with the money. Anybody else find that interesting, right? We, we hear that Judas is the one that watches the funds, right? Sorry, that was just an interesting aside. But, 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 but Jesus sees Levi doing his tax collecting in the streets, and he says, all right, I've got to have him as a part of my gang. And so he walks up to Levi and he says, Levi, follow me, right? We hear, follow me. And so what do we hear? There's a, it's, it's follow me, period, right? Follow me. And then what happens after the period? Levi got up, left everything behind and followed him. I wish following Jesus was that easy, as it seems in scripture sometimes. Now, I, I know that there might have been a little bit of thought and processing on Levi's part, but but what we see here is this response to an invitation, a response to something that Jesus asks of Levi, right? Jesus walks up to Levi, and, and there is almost this air and this understanding of, of Jesus saying to Levi, Levi, come and follow me. Receive what God is offering through, the te- through, through these teachings that I am offering. And in that, Levi gets up and he follows him. And not only does Levi get up and he follows him, but he sees this as a point of celebration with Jesus and the disciples that Jesus already has. And so what does Levi do? Levi puts on a dinner party. Now, a dinner party in biblical times, you invite all of your friends, right? You invite your family sometimes. You invite important people in the community. Well, if Levi's a tax collector, let's reflect for a second on who Levi's friends and close confidants might be. Let's get a tax collector to throw a dinner party and bring them all together. And what do you get? You get a tax, you get a, (laughs) you get a dinner party where Pharisees walk up and ask Jesus' disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? You see, in the law, in biblical times, there was worthy and there was unworthy. And those who were worthy were not supposed to mix with the people who were unworthy. In fact, when you were deemed unworthy, there was often a ritual cleansing that had to take place. I'll let you read some of those laws in the Old Testament. But the bottom line is, there was this division and caste system that was put in place to divide those people up between worthy and unworthy. And so the very fact that unworthy people were included in this great and grand feast is enough to throw off the religious elite of the day. A rabbi of the faith, God forbid, a teacher and embodiment of the faith, and a man who really calls himself the son of God. And what does Jesus say? Healthy people don't need doctors. I mean, I think maybe we probably do need doctors, but, you know, make sure you get your yearly physical, folks. I didn't come to call righteous people, but sinners to change their hearts and lives. Because what does Jesus see within the midst of the world is the hurt and pain that exists 
and the invitation that is offered to Christ to come and to follow Christ, the invitation that is offered by God through the manner of grace that is received, whether it is the means of grace of the communion table, the means of grace of worship, the means of grace of prayer, the reason that we are all able to receive God's grace is not because of anything we've ever done. It's not because we're worthy. It's not because we are the most perfect person on the face of the earth. No, it is simply because we are born. Amen? Because we are born, we receive this invitation. The invitation is for all who feel unworthy by the way anybody, society, church, friends, family, otherwise, tries to define us. Yes, the Pharisees look like jerks in this passage. And, 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 and honestly, they kind of seem like it a little bit. Because they are trying to say... Why do you, a religious professional, why do you, those who are learning at the feet of a rabbi, why do you, who are worthy by your very nature and role within the faith, dine with people who are unworthy? People who are lies and cheats and thieves. People who sin. People who we think are evil. And yet, you have this tax collector who is in the space who is allowing himself to be transformed by the image of Christ and the image of God that is in creation. And so the invitation to the table, we make known that this table is open. This table is open to those who are willing to receive all that Christ offers to us through God. When we believe we are unworthy, that, that is when God works in our lives. That is when we know God is working in our lives. It's not our job as humans to turn people away. It is our job to make them know that they are welcome, that they are loved, and that they are received. Friends, all are welcome at the table through Christ's invitation because it is Christ who invites us. And so now the question that's on your minds, because I've, I've been here for a little while, and I've been in the church for a little while, and so I know what that question might be. The question is, well, should anybody not receive communion? And I would say that that's not my decision to make. That's not my decision to make. That's not your decision to make for somebody else. That is a decision that rests and resides in the heart of the person who is deciding whether or not they come to the table. Remember my friend I talked about at the beginning of the service. It was his decision not to come to the table. Yes, that decision was rooted in his own understanding. That decision was rooted in his own thoughts and feelings on religion and faith. But there was nothing that ever stopped him from coming to the table. And to the credit of my youth director, to many of my youth leaders, to my pastors at the time, we made it known that all were welcome to come to the table when they felt led to come forward. Who are we to police the Lord's table? The declaration of all who love Christ. It embodies this nature in which we express our desire to receive God's grace that is already there. The declaration of repentance of sin expresses our desire to be convicted by God through grace. There is a reason that that confession is communal because we recognize the way that we have handcuffed ourselves in this world. And that we call upon God to work within us, to sanctify us and to perfect us. And the declaration to seek peace with our neighbor 
expresses the desire not only to receive God's grace, but that we are called to give that grace as well. To live in unity and harmony with all the world, with all the kingdom. And so here in this space, here in this time, as, as we continue to, to dissect, to look at communion, to look at what communion is, to understand more deeply why this meal is so important to our practice of faith, to our practice of worship, to why it is such an embedded part of who we are, it is because this invitation does not come from me. It does not come from this church. Friends, it comes from Christ because Christ wants a relationship with us. Christ wants to be part of our lives. And friends, Christ wants to invite us to this great and this wonderful feast that we are all partaking in. The question is, are you willing, are you in a space that you are looking to be transformed by Christ? Whether you've never experienced, feel like you've experienced Christ in your life, or whether you've been experiencing Christ for the last 80 or 90 years. To know that the work of Christ's transforming love continues to work within each and every one of us. To come to this table, to experience in worship, to experience in prayer, to experience in community, says to God, says to Christ, yes, Lord, I want to continue to grow in your love and grace. And so what does that mean for us right here at Beach Grove? It means that when we have this communion table, when we have communion on a given Sunday, you are all welcome to come and to join in. Come with hearts willing to be transformed by God. Come with hearts willing to be changed. Come with hearts willing to be convicted about who Christ is calling us to be. That is the work of the communion table. It's like that feast that Levi offers. We are inviting friends. We're inviting family. And you know what? Sometimes that means that there might be people at this table that we might not wholeheartedly agree with. That there might be people in this space that we have disagreements with. That there might be people in this space that, friends, admit it, we just might not like them sometimes. And we might think that they're unworthy of God's love. But are they unworthy of God's love? It's an opportunity in our own hearts to understand the way that God is moving us, the way that God is transforming us. Maybe those feelings are teaching us forgiveness and repair that we need to reconcile in God's kingdom. Maybe it's a time for us to look inwardly as we pray for that peace we are called to give to others. We'll talk about that later in the coming weeks. And remembering that that invitation to the table Right, That invitation we receive when we come to the table is the same invitation that we are sent forth in our hearts. That as we go throughout the world, not only have we been invited by Christ, but we invite others to experience Christ as well. And so it calls us to reflect on how we are practicing Christian invitation. Right? How are we making others, no matter who they are, no matter what they believe, even sometimes no matter how many times they have cheated us to reconcile, to find redemption, to work towards healing, and to welcome them and let them know that Christ loves them? Right? It's hard. It means a lot of different things. And yet Christian invitation means that all are welcome. So friends, let us open the table so that all may receive. Amen.